Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to today's Outsports Podcast. It is God, it's almost the end of August. Um, NFL season starts two weeks from tonight. Chiefs at Patriots. College football season starts a week from today with a whole bunch of games leading up to the best game of opening weekend, Florida State, Alabama, pitting two of the top three preseason ranked teams. So, Sid, football's in the air. You're starting your, when's your first uh, refereeing? Hello? Oh, don't tell me we have more technical difficulties. You need you need to unmute me. So there we go. Yeah, I am not. I am mute, I am not week. muted. I've I've been doing scrimmages for the last week, and uh, and I'm doing a high school game. My first high school game is tomorrow. Are you there, yeah, Jim? Hello. I can. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, I've heard. I'm so confused. Okay, yeah, I just I quite couldn't. I heard you said you've been in scrimmages the last week. We keep have we are going to fix this yeah. problem. We have more technical difficulties. Um, I couldn't hear a word you said. You said you're doing scrimmages this week. Yep, and I got games tomorrow. Oh, pro, all right. So I think we're we're right. Anyway, it is football season, and we've had a had a busy week uh, with a couple of football uh, stories. We had a, a, an openly gay referee today, which is always great to see. The striped shirts, because that was an area where, for the longest time, we had nobody out. I mean, it was like, you know, and then you see, you see, um, I think he wrote us probably more than a year ago, but Dominic wrote his story today, and um, what was your reflection of that story? What did I tell you? Well, I I remember when I started officiating, people said, oh, be sure you don't tell any of your fellow officials that you're gay, because it won't go over well, and... Uh, you know, most of the people I work with know I'm gay, just like Dominic and the the the, the board of directors of my association have been completely supportive. Everyone who knows me, I think, has been supportive. Maybe there are some people who just kind of keep some disapproval to themselves, which I couldn't care less about. So you know, I I, I feel treated well, perfectly, and 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 Dominic does too. And you know, it's just a it's yet yet still again people telling telling other people to stay in the closet because you need to be afraid because sports and 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 and, and people in sports are big dumb jocks and they don't like gay people and of course that's not remotely at all true at all well, we had two other stories that sort of touched on that one today by Chris Voth who's a pro volleyball player based in Canada now playing in Czech Republic who is a team sport athlete and wants to know where all the team sport athletes are because even though he's had faced homophobia, he's had some great support from the teams he's been on, and he really wishes there'd be more team sport athletes out. In the, so he, he had a really good piece. And then there was a, a football-related story about a track athlete in Nebraska who was confronted uh, at a party by three, he called them gigantic human beings. <laughs> they had to be either offensive or defensive linemen who on a balcony, one of them said, we hear you swing for the other team, and he nervously said yes, and <clears throat> he had feared the worst, and they said, oh, my God, that's great, that's awesome. They gave him a hug, and now they're friends. And that story <laughs> kind of resonated on the Nebraska message boards because, 
you know, it's sort of, again, this idea, oh, my God, Nebraska football, the worst. They must be the biggest bunch of homophobes ever. Well, they had an opening gay kicker 12 years ago, and with this track runner, they totally embraced them. So I, I think that we don't give players, especially in sports like football, a lot of credit. And in a couple minutes, we'll have on a guest who's going to talk about uh, a woman who broke some barriers in the NFL. But I think football, for whatever reason, said this year is the year of football. We seem to have more football-related stories, high school, college. Now we have a pro story with uh, Katie Sowers of the 49ers. Um, and that's a sport that for the longest time was the one that we were told was never going to be accepting. It seems like on Twitter I get into a, a weekly, and it's becoming multiple times a week, argument with LGBT people who insist that sports are homophobic and that LGBT people are rejected in sports, and certainly holding up sports like football as the obvious example that sports is rife with homophobia. And they are all... They, they 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 have chosen to be totally blind to the fact that person after person who comes out in sports in football is, is they they come out to open arms and total support from their teams and for years we were told that oh well yeah they're going to find support in San Francisco and LA and New York this is happening in upstate New York Buffalo is not exactly um bastion of liberalism and Kansas and Arizona and Indiana uh and 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 all those places voted for Donald Trump they're they red as red could be so and they've all found support but yet LGBT people seem Jim totally addicted to the idea that sports and football are homophobic well, it's it's a it's a curve that uh, that we're trying to to change, and we have a guest that's also trying to change it, and we're going to talk about what our big story to week is. Well, first off, I want to uh, welcome uh, Rebecca Fernandez. You there, Rebecca? Hello. Can you hear me? Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Now, of course, after we're done with this podcast sometime in the next week or so, you and I are, you and I are going to talk about helping us with our podcast since uh, you do a really fantastic one um, based in okay. Seattle called uh, My Gay Life Podcast. And some background, Rebecca is a uh, defensive ends coach with the Seattle Majestics of the Women's Football Alliance. Uh, she's also a sportscaster. But many months ago, Rebecca messaged us on Twitter and told us about a friend of hers, um, Katie Sowers, who was then a, a sort of a unpaid intern assistant, whatever, with the Atlanta Falcons, and then just a week ago, you literally wrote us and said, "Hey, Katie's now an assistant coach full time with the 49ers. and we wrote and said, uh, "Miss Katie Gay," and you said, "Yeah," and would she talk to us and gave us an email address? I talked to Katie, and literally within hours, she had given me detailed responses to my question. Was so eager to come out and. Katie Sowers is the assistant offensive uh, coach for the 49ers dealing with wide receivers, and she's the second woman to have an assistant's job in the NFL and the first person who's openly LGBT. So it's kind of history. So, Rebecca, first, thanks for the tip, and uh, tell us about your feelings about Katie getting the job and how you've, you came to know her. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Katie is kind of an institution in the world of women's football. Um, everyone, like, knows of Katie, and 
her and I honestly only had a few conversations, like we kind of run in the same circle, but there's a few of these female athletes in women's football who like are similar pillars of the sport, like Katie. So um, I met her for the first time a couple of years ago at the Women's World Games that was hosted in New Orleans by the Saints. And um, I think for one, the like road that her and Catherine Smith and Jen Welter and Sam Rappaport and all these women have been paving in the NFL is huge. And, for such a long time, I think the women demographic in general has been sort of ignored by the sport, and you've seen that really change over the past couple of years So, um, in terms of who they're marketing to and catering to. So to see more women involved on the sidelines and involved in operations, and um, there's some there's two women's football players who are um, scouting interns for the Jets right now, and there's a lot of people who have gone through the WFA and other women's leagues who are kind of being propelled into the NFL, which is incredible because – there's a misconception that women want to play in the NFL, and I don't think that's the case. We really just want to, like, be part of the game, and we have our own sport, and we love it. Um, there's no one who's, like, itching to throw pads on and play in an NFL game. Um, but in terms of coaching and scouting and being part of these teams, that's something that appeals to a lot of these women who have a ton of football intelligence to share. Well, what they, what, are, what are the interesting pieces of this is, um, you know, and, and – <laughs> I knew it was going to happen when we when we ran Katie's story. Of course, some of the jerks on Twitter say, "Oh, big shocker! You know, lesbian in sports. How hard can it be to be a lesbian in sports?" And and I thought that Katie's response that I I had the same feeling. It's it's never ever easy to do anything as a woman in sports, in football, or in the NFL. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I think that um, I think there's two parts to it. On one hand, regardless of where she's working or who she is, even if it's not Katie or just gay women around the world and, and gay men as well, but the challenge that goes along with trying to do your job, regardless of what your job is, but trying to do your job if you can't feel out at work or if you can't feel 100% yourself at work is so hard. It feels like you are trying to do your job with a 3,000-pound weight on your shoulders because you have to sidestep every conversation. You have to watch what pronouns you use when you're talking about your partner. You have to remain ambiguous about all of these things, and it makes it really hard to focus on your day job. So on one hand, I think I was like, Lord and just so happy that Katie wanted to do this and like also that she was um, supported by her team and like her employer for doing this is huge and I think people uh, who say it's not a big deal and people who say it doesn't matter I think a lot of them think that what they're saying is I love gay people I don't care whether you're gay or not and I don't need to hear about it like I love you regardless I think that's like genuinely what a lot of people think they're saying what you're really telling someone when you tell someone that them having like coming out at work doesn't matter is like you're kind of erasing their experience of having to hide and having to feel that weight on their shoulders for so long and that's why it does matter. So like it, it matters for women who want to go into football and it also matters for women who are just at home every day wondering when they're going to be able to come out at work. And I think that's kind of the bigger picture and the more and there's still well not anymore. As recent as last year, there are still states where you could get fired just for being gay. And um, so I think that's like the bigger picture. And I think a lot of people trying to erase that part of the experience is just not productive at all. And empathy is a really good thing. <laughs> well, and in Katie's case, she was very eager to be visible. And, you know, mm -hmm. she had she had basically come out to the Falcons last year, came out to Scott Pioli, um, 
And she was nervous about it because even though she assumed everything would be okay, you know what it's like. The first time you tell someone you don't know that I misread that situation and it turned out not to be a problem. And the fact that she felt so open about it, to me, was a really sign of progress. So it's like, I mean, kind of good for the 49ers because they clearly knew her orientation. It wasn't like this was a shock. Um, and she was so eager to tell it, but she also said something in the in the interview where she thought it would actually be easier for a gay man to get a job in the NFL coaching than a woman. And I want to get your perspective on that. Do you think there's something to that? I think so. I think there's something to that sort of double whammy factor, maybe. Um, I think that I think regardless. So I often similarly run into this in terms of like women who feel like, um, like for instance, I pass, quote-unquote, as straight. So mm-hmm. I could, like, I think that's Katie's point, is, like, these, ma- these men who either they have an easier time not coming out at work or they're com- they can and it's not a bigger deal and they're a man. For one, like, men have the advantage of playing the sport longer. There's, like, this automatic um, instinct that people tend to think that if you've played as long as men can play as easily as they can play, um, then you're going to know more about the sport, which I don't think is true. I think it takes a whole different person to be a coach than an athlete. And um, so I think she's, I think she's probably right if you were to like line up the numbers. I think it's unfortunate either way, of course. But um, there's something to be said for being able to like pass as a straight football playing dude right off the bat. Well, and, and again, even in women's basketball, female coaches are losing jobs to men. In the mm-hmm. sports world, where every commissioner of the men's sports, certainly in, in in pro sports, they're all men. All the head mm-hmm. coaches are men. All of the general managers are men. All of the owners in the NFL, maybe there's one woman. Um, essentially, all the owners are men. And this idea that oh, it's it's so much easier for a woman to be out and gay in the workplace. Uh, in sports than a gay man just it just seems insane. I can't imagine what in men's professional sports it would be easier to be a woman than than be a man. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I don't think there's a place where it is. And I think it's interesting in um, a lot with like NCAA women's basketball, we started to see more coaches come out and we started to see that become more of like a normal everyday thing in that. Um, and I And I'm hoping that like a, that will open a lot more doors for people, but also get more women into coaching because, of course, like the other people on Twitter always want to talk about the numbers game. Um, and there's just like not that many women interested, but that's not true. Like men are groomed one way, women are groomed the other way. So to kind of cross those boundaries as young, um, as young as you'd have to to get like the same numbers of experience playing football or being involved in football is really difficult. So I think at the on the flip side, it causes women, when we can get involved, like I wasn't able to play my first down of football, like full pads tackle football until I was 24 years old. So, but as soon as I was able to, I fell in love and I worked twice as hard than I ever had. Anything. It was amazing. And I think you find that women will do that. You know, it's, you work twice as hard to get half as far sort of mentality. Well, yeah, tell us a bit about your football background. Did you, did you grow up a football fan, um, or did you come to the sport? I mean, you said you played it. You were able to not play it uh, in full pads until you were in your 20s, but did you just have a love of the game, and what is it about football that sort of attracted you? And tell us a bit about what you do um, with the uh, Majestics. Yeah, so I grew up loving football. I grew up in Michigan. Football is a big deal, Friday Night Lights kind of style in the Midwest, and 
Um, I always wanted to play, but never really had the opportunity to until I found the Majestics. And I basically played like flag and powder puff any opportunity I could. And um, also Madden, I used to babysit like a cousin of mine, and he loved Madden, so we would just spend all day playing Madden. So I learned a lot about the game in that way. And then uh, my grandfather was a big sports fan, and he always used to say, like, if you're going to go work in a man's field, like you have to at least be able to talk about sports. And um, so I've just kind of always loved sports in general. And then I just kind of stumbled on the fact that the WFA, like, existed. At some point when I was in college, I caught it on, like, ESPN3 one day and was just, like, amazed. And then eventually when I moved out to Seattle, I was just kind of looking for a community. I didn't know anyone out here and was looking for something to do and sort of fell down a uh, Majestic's YouTube, like, rabbit hole. Um, and, yeah, so I went out for the team, and I played offensive line my first year and then spent the whole, like, off-season kind of training and came back as a defensive end and loved that. Um, but my sort of long-term goals are to be a coach and a teacher. So I want to – I'm switching on the side of the field this year. Um, so I'll be coaching our defensive ends and long snappers. And then um, I also help with, like, our marketing and um, do our game day broadcasting. So I kind of, like, fell in love with the organization. I fell in love with the sport. There's – a community of thousands of women's football players all around the world. And it's really a unique community of incredibly diverse women who do all different kinds of things for their day jobs and um, are, come from all different backgrounds. And it's just a ton of fun. So, um, and then once I started going to things like the Women's World Games, which USA Football puts on, and um, Sam Rappaport has been putting it on with them for a couple of years, and I went to the third one in New Orleans, and that was like, just an incredible experience. You're with 220-something other women from 12 different countries. Some of them didn't speak English, and um, it was awesome. I got to line up against a woman from Germany who was six foot five, and I'm five foot two. Um, <laughs> so it was. It's just an incredible. You went low. I hope. Actually, nothing like it. <laughs> it did. It did. I only, um, as long as I stay low, you know, she couldn't reach me, so it was good. But my helmet <laughs> came up to about her knees on the line. But yeah, it's just a really incredible sport with a great community and we're seeing it grow like insane right now especially as we're seeing more women be able to play in high school and the pipeline is starting to sort of build and um, there's a couple girls leagues around the country right now there's one in Utah and Indiana and Georgia I believe and um, so yeah as that pipeline kind of grows it'll be interesting to see what the impact is on the WFA because the quality of athletes in the WFA right now is already outstanding there's a ton of gold medalists and rugby and other um, D1 college athletes, and that will only continue to get better. So I think that will make the sport a lot more compelling. What are some of the big differences between, uh, say, the the, the NFL and and women's football, rules-wise, or just you know watching it, how how it might show up on on uh, to to a to a fan in the stands? What are, what are some of the big differences? Yeah, I think um, so. Rules-wise. We play NFL-style rules, 11-on-11. All of that is basically the same. Uh, We don't do a two-minute warning, but that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that's different. Um, And to a fan, it is slower, like, obviously, um, and it's smaller um, in terms of size of people. But I think speed-wise, it's still really engaging, and I think um, it's still a good mix of passing and running, just depending on kind of what team you're watching. Um, there's a ton of speed, so I think a lot of people are actually impressed by how fast it is versus what they, like, think it would look like. Um, but in terms of everything else, it's, 
it's fairly similar. The only difference is we don't get to spend full-time training. So most women in the WFA put in at least like 10 hours a week with their team practices and then probably an additional eight to 10 hours a week on their own in the gym or training off the field. And, um, and then game days come around and you, you play every Saturday for eight weeks and then um, into playoffs. So we play, and we play in the spring. So it's like an April to July season. And there now, is like um, a team USA saw, that plays I'm, every four years. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, yeah that, that you, they won the gold. Uh, well, they, they, the, that the Katie was, it was 2013 where Katie in the one game intercepted five passes and returned three for <laughs> pick sixes. Right. Yes, and then this year they won, they won the gold medal again, and they had their first touchdown scored against them, but they only had one touchdown scored against them, I believe, um, by Canada. And it was actually really cool this year. It was in Canada, and just to see the level that the international game has grown in the past four years was really cool. Um, and a lot of the international teams were really competitive this year, and that's just a really awesome part of the sport. Is you saw how long it took the NFL to kind of grow their international game, and mm-hmm. was unfortunate enough to start doing that fairly early into the history of women's football. My first year playing, we actually, Team Mexico came up to Seattle and we played an exhibition game against them, which was a really cool experience. What uh, does the NFL have any, uh, I mean, I saw like Charlie Weiss and had Katie out uh, an East-West game, I think a year and a half ago. Is there is there a pipeline that they're trying to develop? I mean, they had this Bill Walsh coaching sort of summer boot camp this year, which is one reason Katie mm-hmm. got the Niners job. Is the NFL looking to the WFA as potential people who could be involved in either on-field coaching or front office, or is, there, is it all just very informal? Um, so I, there's no, like, formal partnership by any means. There is a woman named Sam Rappaport who's the director of development at the NFL mm-hmm. uh, who was previously at USA Football and also played football herself. And I think she played in a different league from the WFA because she's from Canada. But um, So she has been the one building the pipeline that you're talking about, like, specifically with the Bill Walsh program, and she kind of has her hands in all that. So I don't think there's, like, there's no official pipeline or partnership, but I think with Sam's background, she definitely understands that women who play football understand understand it like in a whole new way and um, that it is a great kind of farm system for them to pull really great coaches from and you'll see like um, there's Odessa Jenkins right now who's on the um, Falcons internship and there's a woman named Steph who's in um, Pittsburgh with the Steelers and they're both uh, WFA players and coaches as well Um, and I think I think there was one more, maybe. Um, and then, like I mentioned, the two women who are working with the Jets as scouting interns are also WFA players or former WFA players. Well, and when I talk to to coaches, players in women's professional sports, uh, and even you know major Division One uh, NCAA basketball, um, I always ask them what percentage of the the women in the sport are LGBT. And you know, there's this there's a stereotype that every woman in sports is is LGBT, which is totally ridiculous. But what I've mm-hmm. found is that, of course, all of say 100% is ridiculous, but it's usually much higher than the general population. What percentage have you found in women's football fall into that category? Yeah, so we talked about this um, kind of specifically on the first episode we did with My Gay Life podcast because we were kind of exploring the idea of using um, the fact that the league is 
most likely at least 51% LGBT women. Um, and that's a number, that is not a solid number by any means, but um, on our team, at least in the Majestics, we are a majority LGBT women. And I think that um, there's something to be said about the community that we've developed in women's football and that it is a place where we can go and be the majority for the only time in our day and um, the only time in our lives. And I think there's, um, and I think that's part of why you see that, like the higher up you go in athletics, the more elite you get, it tends to maybe become more skewed towards being a majority LGBT. And I think part of that is because of the community aspect. I think a lot of people, a lot of athletes get burnt out playing softball or basketball or football their whole lives. And um, the one thing that will keep you going to practice and keep you engaged is building a really great community around you. And I think that's part of the draw to women's football for LGBT women. And um, and I think on the flip side, the straight women that we play with are like the greatest allies I've ever met in my life. They um, are very protective and just your fantastic ally and not really like the stereotypical ally. Um, and I think that's a wonderful part of it as well. And they take that off the field and spread that around the world. So, yeah. And um, sort of a counterintuitive question, do you think there is any advantage to a woman coaching a man that she may have a different perspective by simply being a woman, or is that just me making something up? No, and I think that goes both ways. I think that women, and I say this from, like, a management perspective, I think the way that um, I think, I like, male employees, I think that I'm able to kind of bring a different perspective to things sometimes. I think it's the same way with coaching and the flip in the inverse as well. Like my male coaches tend to have a different perspective on things than I might. So what I love about like our coaching staff in particular, which is um, almost 50-50 right now, is that it is collaborative and I do think that our head coach, Scott, takes a lot of um, our coach butts who does special teams, I think that their their combination of being able to kind of come at the game from both sides is really what makes them just a successful team. And I think that's uh, I think that's probably the case in any sport and anything. I think the broader diversity of opinions you can get around you, generally the better outcome you're going to have. Final question, Sid. Before we got to go. Uh, who you? How, how are the San Francisco 49ers going to do this year with Katie? There, I mean, they went two and fourteen last season. So I got to <laughs> believe that the, the the female assistant coach will help that. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I want them. I'm. I'm I got to be a fan because Katie's there. I got to be a Jets fan because some of my girls are there. I got to be uh, a Steelers fan. fan. So I'm kind of. Yeah, I'm kind of bandwagoned out, but I'm hoping they all do really well and have great seasons. And we know that at least the group she's coaching is going to show out. So I think it'll be good. Well, if they do any better, we're going to be running stories saying the, uh, the gay coach lifted the Falcons to another victory. <laughs> so one win for our side. But Rebecca, thank you so much for having us on. And I know you and I will be talking on a separate issue, but um, good luck with the podcast. And if you ever want Sid or myself on the gab, we'll be more than happy to do it. Yes, we'd love that. We're going to be doing some special stuff when women's football season rolls around, so we'd love to have you guys on. Send us some women to, yes. to share their stories about playing in football. Oh, you bet. I got a whole bunch of them I'll send your way. <laughs> I'll put and out starting with yourself, because you have a great story yourself. Just begin your story with you against that six foot five German. <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> I like that plan. <laughs> great All right, well, take care, Rebecca. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
I mean, that's sort of the power of just our readers, too. I mean, she was a reader who simply wrote us and said, hey, you guys don't know about this. And so I, I think that's <laughs> the one thing that we we keep seeing from this, that most of these stories we get, right, Sid, or the vast are people sending us tips, notices, or whatever, and it, it really shows the power of sort of the community and kind of paying attention to this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, and that's – it's the power of outsports. The power is why we started this 19 years ago, because or 18, 18, 18 years ago. Nobody else God. was doing it, and and it's it's amazing. There's still, uh, you know, I I I think that nobody is doing it as well. That's for darn sure. Well, next week uh, we're going to be having a, uh, a, co- a gay college football fan whose goal is to visit all 130 major division or you know fbs college football stadium he's at 65 so that'll be a real treat because he's had a a lot of good stories to tell and it's football season and sid and i are going to have our fantasy draft uh, on sunday sid won last year so maybe i'll do the sid thing and drink for the first time and just kind of make picks blindly and uh, be successful <laughs> i i should not be sober during that draft <laughs> it's well it, it worked for you last year the last two years. Um, and in terms of our yeah, last year, you were, yeah, I think you were in the Abbey or something calling in, and it was like you won the damn thing. So I don't know where you'll well, be this week. Got to do it again uh, this year. But, and I did look for our technical problems, Sid. Uh, my cat had chewed through my headset, so <laughs> it shorted it. So I, once I pulled it out, I heard you perfectly. So that was Weird. the reason okay. for this week's technical problems. So I'll blame Walter. Um, But that's all the time we have. We'll uh, talk more football next week. Um, Talk to you then.